The earth avails against all creatures, and against injury, and against forgetfulness, and against the mighty tongue of man, from the Anglo-Saxon bee charm. Mark Wunderlich is the author of two previous poetry collections, Voluntary Servitude and The Anchorage, winner of the Lambda Literary Award. He teaches at Bennington College and is a member of the core faculty of the Bennington Writing Seminars. He lives in New York's Hudson Valley. Welcome to The Poet's Weave. I'm Romaine Rubinus Dorsey. Mark, what poems have you brought for us today? Sand Shark. It rose up, nosing from the bottom of the bay, hook in its mouth, slothful, circling in a whirl through murk, salt, krill. It pulled at the line, but did not fight, no fit as I turned the reel. Long as my arm, it countered clockwise as I drew it, slick thought up from the dark reach of green and mollusk bed, up from where it fed on what dropped down, what fell to the wavering floor. In my shock, I wondered whether to cut the line or to pry hook and lure from its throat, from between the needled snags of its mouth, designed to hold all that entered and ferry it to the red chambers of its gut. I cut the line, nudged the sluggish creature with my foot, and slipped it back into the bay, its appetite torn by the barb of my hook. My hands were slicked with blood and slime, and though I washed, its briny tang clung to me for a time. Prayer for a Birthday My privilege and my proof, pressing your eternal skin to mine, I feel your fingers touching down on the crown of my head, where I pray they remain during this life and in the next. The intricacies of your world astound me. You flickered through the rooms where my mother dwelt, when I was naked and formless as a seal, sensitive to the tides of her body. I did not come too early onto land, did not emerge until my days were written on the translucent pages of your enormous book. The great lid of your eye peeled back to see I was not yet whole. I remember today the day of my birth. Your words washed that which clung to me from the other side, bound to me the promised ghost. I was dipped and sponged, cut free, delivered as I was like a lamb lodged in his dam. Tears and pain were her price, and I was handed over to be wiped with straw. You built me bone by bone, counting the hairs that would one day thatch my crown, building cleverness in my hands, weakness in my knees, a squint and a taste for cake. You showed me the dip of a man's clavicle, arrow of ankle and calf, weaving in me a love of those bodies like my own, yet not mine. When you turned to your next task, a shadow crossed the room, stirred from the muddy banks, rhymed with ice. In the spot where my skull was soft, it set down its stylus and inked a bruise, a scrap used to blot a leaking pen. Since then... My mind has raced toward the brink, spun and knit and torn out the same silvery threads, 
only to wind them up again. Still, the bargain you made without my consent has left me here to ponder your airy limbs striding through the sky, the red rustle of your gown. A season ago, I looked out upon the verdure of the small meadow below the house, boggy in parts, the pollard willows gnarling and sipping from gnat-speckled pools, the turkeys scratching under the sweep of green as it prepared to die back for another year, littered with mute, papery tongues. You are easier to see when you denude your world with decay. And so I saw you there, flashed in the shallow water, parting the curtain of the willow fronds and warming my face with light. My mother and father call me and sing sweet and tuneless, their voices worn down by your turning wheel. You have kept us together for half a man's natural years, these last the tenderest as their bodies break and their minds dip deeper into dust to bring forth the features of distance. My day will be spent here in the middle of things, feeding split logs into the stove, cats coiling through rooms as the snow ticks at the window's double panes. I will read a book with snow at its center in a forest lost inside a forest in the north, the sun an afterthought in the darkest days of the year. I am thankful for all that buffers me from the cold, all that binds me to my clan, though I see a future strange and tuneless as I push forward into the mind's blinding field of white. You've been listening to the poems of Mark Wunderlich on The Poet's Weave. I'm Romaine Rubinistorsi. So, Mark, would you mind talking to us a little bit about the sort of origins of this collection? Sure. Um, when I when I started working on this, um, I, I had uh, I live in the Hudson Valley in New York's Hudson Valley, and about uh, twelve years ago, um, I bought a very old house and started the process of renovating it. It's about three hundred years old. It was built by a Dutch farmer, and um, and in in sort of taking the house apart and putting it back together, uh, I started to become quite curious about the people who had lived there before I did. So I began researching the family, uh, the Van Bergen family. And in an archive uh, at the local historical society, I found uh, the Van Bergen family Bible. And, um, and in the Bible, I found... Um, uh, one document, a kind of folk religious broadsheet that was, um, you know, wedged in among other sort of documents kept in the in this book for safekeeping. And um, and it was called a Heaven Letter, and it was written in German, and uh, and it read kind of like a a, a bit like a chain letter. Um, it had sort of admonitions and advice. It was part prayer. It, 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 it claimed to sort of offer protection to whoever kept this letter in their house. And I became very interested in this um, and in these heaven letters, as they're called, which were fairly common in the 18th and 19th century, though they have their roots in a kind of medieval, uh, medieval Christianity. 
they were printed by the Pennsylvania Germans and also by the Hudson Valley Dutch. And um, and they were sometimes believed to have kind of mystical qualities. So if you kept this house blessing in your house, it actually blessed the house. And there was one called a fire letter that it was believed if you kept this, it would help prevent fire from happening in the house. But you could also toss it on a fire if you needed mm. to extinguish one in an emergency. Um, so I began researching those and uh, became interested in in the kind of combined rhetoric in these of of warning, of threat, of of praise, of advice, of admonition, and I thought that that would be a kind of interesting thing to uh, adapt um, into a poem. So a number of the poems are in that form. Uh, I also, when I was home in Wisconsin at, at my parents' family, uh, at, at the family farm, I came across a, a book of prayers from the 19th century. It was printed in 1871 in St. Louis. And it was a, a sort of common Lutheran uh, prayer book. And it was this was also written in German. It was small. It was about, you know, three, four inches high. It was meant to be carried, you know. Uh, it was portable. And, um, and these prayers were notable for their specificity. So there were prayers to be said before a journey by sea, a prayer to be said before the harvest, one during the harvest, one for a birthday, um, one's at a sick bed, at the birth room, um, for a husband, for a wife, for children. And um, it, in addition to, to those, it, it also seemed these, – these prayers seemed like a compendium of anxieties. You know, these were the things that people worry about. Um, and this was uh, uh, the the author of these prayers was assembling language in a way to assuage people's anxiety and to offer them comfort. And um, this being a, a German document, it was very organized and categorized <laughs> in that way. And and um, and I was really moved by you know the the um, by these concerns and and again by the combined tone of praise and begging really um i think it's robert frost who said the definition of prayer is please god pay attention to me mm-hmm. um and though i myself am not a believer um i i liked the idea of work um addressing a god who may or may not be listening um, a, a kind of higher power who may or may not, in, in my case, may or may not exist, but uh, who may be indifferent to human suffering. And this is one of the great questions of theology. And the Old Testament, of course, is full of complaining. <laughs> you know, right. Why are you ignoring us? <laughs> why are you putting us through this? But that uh, notion of there being, a, um, uh, you know, the, the whole tradition of devotional poetry in which you're speaking um, towards something that is also unknowable um, uh, interested me. And so I began um, recreating these in the form of poems. Also, of course, this book itself as an object was connected to my family's history in rural western Wisconsin. My family has lived there since the 1830s, and uh, you know, members of my family founded the town that I was in. This was before Wisconsin was a state, and I feel this tremendous connection still to this place where my family does still live. But, um, but I'm also the 
um, end of my family. They're, uh, um, you know, the, the, we, we don't live there any longer. My brother and I don't have children. And so the family is also dying out. And um, I I'm, I'm, was interested in writing to and sort of speaking back to those members of my family who had lived in this place where I still feel this tremendous connection, but also as a way of maybe exercising or thinking a little bit about something ending as well. Yeah, yeah. It's great. I mean, it's there's so much about um, the the way that you're you describe this experience that I felt reading the poems. That there's the poems themselves seem to have a kind of there's a there's a interesting tension between the kind of um, you know, begging for, you know, the attention from some higher power or some kind of forces, often nature, you know, a lot of attention to the natural world and what trying to make sense of, of the play of man's place in it. Mm-hmm. You know, this, you get the sense that the speaker is kind of working out um, often the kind of forces that are pressing against him through the experience of animals, through the experience of, um, agriculture or trying to bring something from the earth. Yeah. Um, there's a really beautiful line in the final poem that I loved about um, something to the effect of trying to, you know, how are you going to make people believe who don't have bread? Um, you know, that you can, it's such an important figure of, of Christian belief. Yeah. Um, so I was just, I was very moved by the sort of search for transcendence through the physical world, through, through nature well, you, you know, you don't you don't have to uh, uh, be a believer in Christianity to uh, sort of bear witness to death and resurrection, right. which is happening right. in the nat- the natural world is full of it. That is the right. story of the natural world. It's the story of everything that we eat, and you know, uh, it's the story of every creature that is living at this moment. Things are dying so that we can live. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, with the seasons, with planting things, with um, animal husbandry, um, all of those, you're you're deeply involved with the physicality of death and resurrection, of things going away and coming back, um, and and that can be tremendously consoling. You know, nothing dies. Whitman talks about this all the time. He says, you know, there is no such thing as death. And he uses for his his for leaves of grass, the the long metaphor was that of the grass growing, you know, the beautiful uncut hair of graves. In that poem, he conflates the poem itself, uh, the 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 grass that's growing, the botanical world, the physical world, and the spirit which she says also doesn't die, it just transcends. So we just take different forms. Um, and I hope that the, the you know, I, as I said, I grew up on a farm. I, I feel this connection to um, to those um, activities and um, to the, the all of the animals that, that we had and, and dealt with, to the raising of crops. Um, that's tremendously rewarding and exhausting work. Um, but it, it has these larger metaphorical resonances for me now. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you.